Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here on this beautiful morning. Would you stand with me for the call to worship? For this reason, we kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that each of us, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the joy of knowing you and for the privilege of gathering here before you to worship you. And as we put aside other things for this time, may we know your presence and may we leave this place changed for having been with you. We commit this time to you and ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. We are glad that you're here to join our voices, our hearts in praising our God for all of his wondrous blessings. Let me encourage you to take a few moments and uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I just want to uh, make note of a couple of things in your bulletin. Tonight our small groups begin meeting. Um, we'd love to have you be a part of a group. If you're not already, you can ask me after the service about the groups. You can go on the website and see those as well. And they meet tonight and then other times during the week as well. It's a great way to connect. Most of the groups are doing a follow-up from the Sunday sermons. You have a chance to think more about it, talk more about uh, the ideas and the, these minor prophets that we're looking at. There's also a couple of inserts in your bulletin, one about the nursery. Uh, the nursery schedule will be done this week, so if you have not yet signed up for the nursery and would like to, uh, you probably should fill that out. You can drop in the offering plate in a few moments or uh, give it to one of the pastors or drop it by the church office in the next day or so. There's also an insert about next Sunday. We're hosting a potluck for college and grad students. We'd love to have you be a part of that, if, uh, both as students who come and uh, enjoy this uh, meal and also as you're a uh, community member to come bring some food. The whole point of it is to interact with each other and uh, meet and connect. So we hope that you'll be a part of that. Again, you can, if, if you know you're going to come, uh, you can tear off that form, fill that out, drop it in the offering. That just helps us as we make plans.
Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. From chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader... And will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. From chapter 14. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his shoots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, and the rebellious stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward uh, to collect the tithes and offerings, would you stand for the singing of the Gloria Patri?
receive these tithes and offerings as an act of worship, recognizing with deep gratitude your faithfulness to us and trusting with sure hope that you will meet our needs in the future. We offer them to you for your use and service in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses. And deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. As we continue in prayer together, I'm going to uh, prompt our praying today. And uh, we'll mention some concerns and burdens and then invite all of us to 
offer silent prayers to God for each of those. Father, we thank you for your forgiving grace. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you forgive us and you cleanse us. We also thank you that when we come to you with the burdens of our hearts and our world, we know that you hear us and that you are at work. So we pray today that you will, you will hear our prayers for the people who are, are living in and feeling all of the devastation of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane M. Irma. We pray, Father, for the nation of Haiti and the other nations around them, that in these places where they are so susceptible, we ask that your grace, your healing, would be present at work and help your church to be a presence of hope in the midst of despair. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face opposition for their faith. We think especially of Christians in Indonesia. As you would pray, give them courage and faith in their journey with you. We pray, Father, for the work of your kingdom here in this area around us. We pray for the Forestville Wesleyan Church and Pastor Bruce Ellis. Father, we also remember the people in Mexico who are reeling from this recent earthquake, grief, and the pain. We pray for them. Father, we also pray for the needs that are even closer to us. For all who are grieving, for all who are facing health issues, the issues of our relationships, our finances, our future, we pray for your help today. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. And thank you for answering in the way that you know is best in your infinite wisdom. 
We offer our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prepare our hearts, O God, help us to Reveal your glory through the free. 
Our New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 6 to 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. As we sing the next hymn, children can be dismissed and make their way to Children's Church. Please be seated.
Relationships are one of the greatest things in the world. And relationships are one of the most difficult things in the world. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship we're talking about. A dating relationship, a marriage relationship, parent-child, friendship. Relationships can bring us the deepest levels of joy and the deepest levels of pain. We all have been on both sides of that. We have all experienced both sides of that in one way or another. Relationships are central to who we are as human beings. But it's not just our relationship with other human beings that's central to our lives. In fact, the most central relationship to our lives is our relationship with our Creator. Scripture tells us in a variety of ways, in a variety of places, that we only experience the flourishing that we were created to experience when we are in relationship with our Creator. The problem is, we get out of relationship with our Creator. We have struggles and problems. We... We separate ourselves from our Creator. And every time we do that, and the, the, and the ongoing decisions of doing that, lead us not to what we think, but the very opposite. Not to flourishing, but to destruction. This is what we see as the people of Israel journey with Yahweh. The problem that the prophets, all of the minor prophets, in one way or another, these 12 prophetic books that begin with Hosea and end with Malachi, what all of them keep telling us is that breaking off our relationship with God will destroy us. And yet we struggle with doing it. And they keep addressing that. And at the heart of our struggle, I'm convinced, the heart of our struggle of our relationship with God is a skewed view of God. If we could get into our minds who God really is, it would dramatically transform how we live. And I'm convinced that's a big part of what these prophets are trying to do. They are trying to to reestablish, to reinform, to change, transform our understanding of who God is. And Hosea starts that. The whole book of Hosea is really about relationship. And the problem is that um, this relationship between God and Israel has been broken. Imagine, if you will, that God had came to Israel when they were in slavery, actually to Abraham and his descendants, but he came to Israel in slavery and said, I want you to be my people. And they stood before, as it were, the church, the people, came in and stood there. and, And God said to Israel, I pledge myself to you. And Israel said, I pledge myself to you. And it was glorious for about 15 minutes. Israel is hardly... Harley has the dust of Egypt off their sandals before they are turning on God. Complaining, whining, worshiping idols, 
accusing God, it starts almost immediately. And from that moment on, this relationship has been a struggle. And Hosea, through the word of God, through the prophet Hosea, is to Israel, here's what I have against you. You have rejected the covenant. In chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 7, God says to them, you have rejected my covenant. We stood here. We made vows to each other. And God can say to them, I have kept my vows every moment since. But you have not. You have chosen to reject me. And throughout Hosea, he talks mainly about idolatry. You are worshiping these other gods. You are, you are running after other gods. You're saying to me, you make it very clear, you would rather have be in a relationship with them than with me. They're more important to you than I am. Now, when we read about idolatry, particularly in the Old Testament, we, I think we have a tendency to think, man, what is wrong with those people? Why would, they, why would they take a piece of wood and carve a statue out of it and bow down and worship it? As if we don't practice idolatry. We might not carve a statue, put it into our living rooms and bow down before it. But we are idolaters. Because put put simply, idolatry is putting something in the place that should be God's. Something else is central to our lives than God is. It can be money, Accomplishments, relationships. It can be status. It can be fame. It can be anything we can think of. And we all wrestle with it. And every time we do that, it's not so much disobedience as it is the breaking of, our, of the covenant. It is the breaking of our relationship with God. It is tearing at the fabric of that relationship. I think most of us have a tendency to think that what God wants from us is obedience. Now, God does want obedience. But what he really wants from us is love. What he really wants from us is relationship. God did not say to himself, I think I will create this group of people, these human beings, so that they will obey me. He created us so that we could have relationship with him. Obedience is a part of being in relationship. But at the heart of it, it's love. And that means that when we break relationship with God, we are hurting him. We're bringing pain to God. I'm not sure we always see God that way. I think we have a tendency to think of God as as sort of this, this being who is completely emotionless. But all you have to do is read a little bit of the Old Testament and you see God expressing emotion all the time. God is angry. God is joyful. God is hurt. God is in pain. God, God, they're all the emotions that God has. And I think it comes back to this thing about, we, I think we have a hard time seeing God as, as feeling pain about our relationship and rejecting him because we think the primary image of God is as a judge. And a judge is supposed to be emotionless. 
A judge is supposed to stand, sit at the bench, and listen to the arguments, and then make a neutral, disconnected decision from the people involved. But Scripture tells us that even though, yes, God is a judge, the primary image of God is a father. Relationship. And fathers don't stand back emotionless about their children. They get involved. They care. They feel it. It's a part of who they are. And God is judge. But I think God, Scripture tells us, certainly Hosea, that first and foremost, God is relational. Hosea, a lot of it has to do with a marriage relationship. It is, it is that kind of intimacy and when you involve yourself in that kind of an intimacy, when you, when you stick out your neck to love, when you risk, you can get hurt. The prophet Ezekiel, God says in, in chapter 6 of Ezekiel, I, I, I'm going to let my people go through some difficult things and maybe then they will realize how much they hurt me. And so God says to, to Israel... All right. If you want life without me, I'm going to let you experience that. So in the first chapter we read, God says to, to Hosea, you, you marry Gomer. And she had, a, she had a, a daughter named Jezreel, and that connected to an old battle. The second, the first son, then the second child, was named Not Loved. And God says, okay, I'm, I'm not going to show love to you. Now, he just doesn't say he doesn't love them. He's not going to show love to them. He's going to step back. And the third child is named not my people. You don't want to be my people? You don't have to be my people. You're not really my people if I have to make you be my people. This is not really a relationship if I have to force you to be a part of it. So if you don't want to be my people, you don't have to be. And God backs away. He says in chapter 9, it's going to be difficult to leave you alone. It's hard for God to leave us alone. Sometimes it's the best thing for us. If you're a parent, you understand that. It starts the first day you bring home your baby from the hospital. You read all the books, and what do the books tell you? If the baby cries at night, you feed, change diapers, and then you let them cry. That is... It's one thing to read about that. It's another thing to do it. That's hard. Or you have to, your child has to go through some kind of medical procedure, a surgery that you know is going to be painful, and you know they're scared, and you're scared for them, and they don't really understand what's happening. And you see they're being wheeled off on the gurney, and you want to grab that thing, turn it around, and run out the door and go home to the safety. But you know it's not best for them. And sometimes God allows us to face those consequences of our decisions. To shake us up a little bit. To cause us to realize what life really is like without him. We've been taking it for granted. One of the most dangerous times for Israel is when they're in prosperity. It's when they're prosperous that they say, we don't really need God, we're fine. 
And then God lets them face the consequences of, of rejecting him and they cry out to him once again. Which is what he wants. They want relationship again. And so God backs away. But here's the thing that Hosea tells us, and this is really the core of Hosea's prophecy. God can't stay away. He just can't stay away. Even in this first chapter. He's, he's so frustrated with them and their desire to not be his people. And then by the time you get to the end of that, he says, but I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to love them. And I'm going to restore them. And you see that happening over and over again. You get chapter 11. And it's verses 7 and 8, and God is lamenting Israel turning from him and how much they have rejected him. And the very next words out of his mouth are, but how can I give you up? How can I let you go? You're always going to be my people. And this is who God is. And Hosea tells us in a variety of ways, this is who God is. He never stops loving us. He never gives up on us. We see this modeled in chapters 1, 2, and 3 as, as Hosea has a, a situation with Gomer. And he, God says to him, I want you to go to Mary. And the NIV says this, I think, promiscuous woman. That is kind of cleaning up the language a little bit because most of the translations say, go marry this prostitute. Go marry this, this woman who has made bad choices, who has a bad reputation you go marry her and have children with her. And he does. And in chapter 2, it tells us that she runs away again. And she, she takes off and, and, and spends time with other men. And eventually gets herself to the place where she has become a slave. And God says to Hosea, now go buy her back. Really? I think she's sort of in the place she deserves to be, doesn't she? I mean, she got herself into that. And remember, Hosea, as a male, is in the position of power in that culture. Only men could, could initiate divorce. And he had every right to initiate divorce. He had every right to say, forget it. I'd love to have heard the conversation that God and Hosea had about this. I can hear Hosea saying, Lord, this is going to be humiliating. I'm going to walk in there and I have to bid on my own wife because she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be with me anymore. The most shocking thing about that is that God says, I want you to do that because that will tell people what I do with them. There are a lot of scholars and Christians who want to interpret this, all this with Hosea and Gomer allegorically. I mean, come on, God would never ask one of his holy prophets to do this. God would never ask one of his prophets to get that messy, into that kind of a messy situation. It doesn't look good. And quite frankly, it doesn't make God look good. It makes God look needy and humiliated and vulnerable and weak. This is a moment where Hosea needs to be strong and he needs to put his foot down and he needs to say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I've had enough. But God says, no. Because I never stop pursuing my people. And God is willing to get messy. 
God is willing to, to look weak. God is willing to be vulnerable. And the more I read Hosea, the more I keep thinking about a hill outside of Jerusalem with a cross. And the lengths to which God is willing to go. And the humiliation that God is willing to endure. Because he loves us. And he wants us. And that's why Paul writes to the Romans and says, you know, maybe for a good person, someone might die. Not for somebody who rejected them. And yet while we were still sinners, while we were rejecting God, while we were chasing kinds of idols, Jesus died for us. And Hosea's echoes, we hear Hosea's words echoing down through the centuries. This is your God. This is who he is. And what he asks of us is not to clean up our lives. What he asks of us is to do one thing, to return word is used ten times in the book of Hosea. He's calling his people to return. Turn around. Some, in the New Testament, this word often, we probably would look at it, think of it as repentance. We turn around. We acknowledge our sin. We confess our sin. We realize what we have done. And we come to God. We turn. Someone was saying to me this week that they are picturing in their mind Hosea and Gomer and, and, and Gomer turning around to come back to him. Think what she would have felt if when she turned around, he wasn't there. Hopelessness. But he was there. And all we have to do is turn 180 degrees and we see God. He is always there because he is always Pursuing us. We turn. He's there. Go there. We turn. He's there. Because that's who he is. And the call in our lives is to return. To acknowledge that we have broken covenant. To acknowledge that, that we, have, we have torn the relationship. And to seek forgiveness. And he is there. One of the things you find as you read through Hosea and actually a lot of the prophets is that the prophecies tend to be cyclical through the book. It kind of bugs me because I like things to be linear. I, I want this thing to start. You have this transformation and everything just goes like this the whole rest of the way. But it's not what you get. I mean, in fact, when you read through Hosea, if you sit down and you read through the whole thing from beginning to end in one setting, you find yourself saying, didn't we just talk about this? Didn't, didn't, hasn't he already said that three or four times? Haven't we already been through this? Yes. We have. And I think that's because relationships are never in a straight line. Relationships are always gain a little bit, a problem arises, you back up, 
You move forward. And somebody gets hurt. And it causes discord. And you back up and you move forward. And hopefully, as you walk through these these cycles of relationships, it's going a little more uphill than downhill. But the thing about Yahweh is that he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to just keep turning to him. And the more we turn to him, the more of his life we have in us. And the, and the cycles begin to spread out a little bit more. But none of us are perfect. And I think one of the struggles that we have is thinking that our relationship with God means that now we are perfect. And God is going to be disappointed with us. And God is going to give up on us if we aren't perfect. But the book of Hosea shows us that Israel keeps coming around and rejecting him. And there is, there's, there's sin, there's consequences, and there is redemption. And there's sin, and there's consequences, and there's redemption. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And you never get the feeling that God says, all right, that's it. Because again, he is a God who loves to pursue us. He knows that we are human, that we are frail. He remembers that we are dust, the psalmist tells us. Does he want us to be holy? Does he want us to be like Christ? Yes. This is not, as, as Paul argues in another place in Romans, this is not a sense of, well, we can do whatever we want and then we'll turn to God and everything will be fine and then go back to doing what we want. But it is a realization that all of us struggle with sin. All of us wrestle with being faithful to God. And God's response is not to give up on us, but to continue to pursue us. Again and again and again and again and again and again. I suspect that's one of the reasons why when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times. And Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? How about this number, this sort of this infinite number? Because that's what God does. As we come to this this table, we come face to face with our God. We come face to face with who God is. And the call on us is to confess our sins and to celebrate His grace and mercy. We come, we confess, we acknowledge that we have sinned, that we have failed. And then we celebrate God's forgiving grace. That redeems us, lifts us up, and leads us forward. And when the evil one whispers in our ear, I think God has finally had enough of you. We hear the prophet Hosea saying to us, God will never give up on you. Period. So as we prepare to come to the table today, we're going to take just a, just a moment or two of silence. 
Perhaps there is something you need to confess to God today. You need to acknowledge and then hear his words of forgiveness and celebrate his redemptive grace. Father, we give you thanks. You've created us to be in relationship with you. And that even when we fail, and even when we reject you, you never stop pursuing us. To transform us, to give us the life of flourishing that you have created us to to experience. We pray your anointing upon the bread and the cup of which we partake today. May it be food for our souls. May it it bring us face to face with the depths of your love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. And may it be hope. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do in remembrance of me. This morning we're receiving communion by the mode of intinction. It means to dip in. And so as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here. If you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time that you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, recognizing your need for Him and celebrating His grace poured out to you, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.